you would, turn to the Bible to Job chapter one. Job chapter one. We started this series last week. If you were not here or you did not get a chance to hear that one, please, please, please go back. It is gonna be so good for you to be able to follow along in this study. Job is a fascinating study and you will benefit from it. I wanna ask you if you would to keep up, all right? We hope you don't miss But if you do miss, you can go back online, you can listen to audio or watch video. Please stay up with that. If you go through Chick-fil-A these days and you get a kid's meal, inside the kid's meal now is not a book or a toy. There's this little game that is supposed to uh, prompt discussion. I kind of like that, right? It's, It's questions, engaging questions. Some of you all may have seen this. It is engaging questions to help uh, interaction. So we were riding in the car the other day and my kids were just running through those, you know, like if you were in this situation, what would you do? Or right, if you could do this, what would you do? And one of the questions was, if you could sit down and have a conversation with anybody, who would it be? That's a good question, isn't it? Y'all have had those discussions before. If you could sit down with anybody and have a conversation, who would it be? And then you say, anybody dead, who would it be? Anybody living, who would it be? And if you're curious, mine is Michael Jordan to all of that. Michael Jordan's my answer to everything. But I'll tell you another really good one if your answer's not Michael Jordan. It'd be somebody like Job. But I'll tell you another good one. And it's not exactly the answer to the question. But in Job chapter one, we see a conversation that we're not a part of, but we get to observe between God and Satan. Now that's not sitting, now that's not sitting down having a conversation with them, but you and I do get to sit here and observe God and Satan have a conversation. Y'all, God has given us such a gift in his word with this book of Job. Last week, we introduced it. Today, we start to dig deep. Read with me, if you will, Job chapter one, verses six through 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, All that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
Y'all, you and I are in for a treat as we study this book. This is an awesome study. It's sucking us in. It is gripping our attention, is it not? I want to be honest with you all. I think the study and sermon preparation for this book of Job has been the best, the most meaningful to me that I've ever had. I am loving studying this. And I've been praying like crazy that somehow it goes that way to you all this morning and continuing on. This is fascinating. Job who suffers as much as anybody we've ever known, and that's what the whole book is about, suffering and the sovereignty of God, Job doesn't know what you and I know right now. Job doesn't know what we just read. Job does not know about that conversation between God and Satan. He doesn't know that. There's a lot of times when you hear somebody's sad story that your heart immediately feels for them, right? You've heard somebody tell you all they're going through and you have said before, man, it breaks my heart, right? But there's a real sense, I think, that when you read Job for as tragic as it is, your heart didn't necessarily break, Have you ever cried reading Job just because of how bad it is for Job? I don't think so. And you know why? Because of that which we just read. God has Job. God has Satan. God is God. He has it all under control. He is strong. And may that tell you something right now that your heart breaks and your tears shed when we experience brokenness apart from hope in God. For the tragedy of Job's life is as bad as we've ever heard of, which we will see in the coming weeks. Yet that that we just read of a sovereign God keeping Satan under control and therefore Job under control and not allowing anything ultimately to happen to Job's soul and his faith causes our hearts not to break but to be strengthened. That is faith. And this is why Job is so good for us. Job doesn't know what that conversation was. And we'll talk about this more later, but listen to this. Job doesn't even know, perhaps, that there is a Satan. After chapter two, verse six, Satan is never mentioned again in this long book of 42 chapters. Neither Job nor his friends ever mention Satan. They're going, what's God doing, Job? What's your problem? You know, what's happening here? Why is all this happening? They're questioning everything in the world, but they never consider that it's the devil. That's fascinating, isn't it? It is fascinating. And it is really a great study for us. In verses six through 12 today, I want us to see five points and we're taking the Lord's Supper today. So I hope about one will be good for you all. 
Five points today from this passage. Number one, we see the sovereignty of God. If you read your Bible and you believe the Bible, you will be strengthened at how big God is. You will be strengthened at how much God knows. You will be strengthened at how strong God is. You will be strengthened that God is never intimidated, never caught off guard. God reigns. He is supreme. He is authority. He is the ruler of everything. And we see this here in the beginning of the book of Job. Now, the whole book of Job is an absolute testament to the sovereignty of God. The final five chapters are an absolute statement from God of his sovereignty. He is in charge of every single thing. But we also see it here. Look at verse six. Now there was a day. Good. Whoever wrote this is a good writer. Chapter one, verse one says, there was a man. Chapter one, verse six says, now there was a day. They're they're drawing us in. It's kind of like the equivalent to once upon a time. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. There are lots of different ways that angels or heavenly beings are described throughout the Bible. And this is a pretty common one here, the sons of God. This is referring to the heavenly host. This is referring to angels. And so you see here, just in verse six, a glimpse of the sovereignty of God. There is only one God, maker of heaven and earth, God Almighty, the Lord Yahweh. There is only one God. And this God reigns over everything so that angels are accountable to God. That's what we have going on here. We have Satan coming along with the angels, and that's problematic in and of itself, right? We'll talk about that in a second, but um, you have the angels checking in, if you will. Anytime you get into uh, the workforce, one of the things that you must understand is, in this position, who do I answer to, right? No matter what position you're in, who do I answer to? Who's my boss, and who's their boss, and who's their boss, right? Who do you answer to? Well, guess what? No matter what it is in all of creation, answers to the creator, God. And verse six shows us that they're checking in. The angels are going to the sovereign God. I want to read to you just a few passages to put this further into perspective. If you take notes, take notes on a few of these. Isaiah 45, seven through nine. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Wow. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making or your work has no handles? The sovereignty of God. 
Or what about John chapter one, verse one? I hope that is a very familiar passage to you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The sovereignty of God. Or perhaps you remember Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is above all, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. The bigness of God, the sovereignty of God. R.C. Sproul, in speaking on the sovereignty of God, says, there is not one piece of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereignty. He reigns over every single bit of it. You know, just recently, if you've seen on the news or heard about it, you've heard about this robot videoing that we landed on Mars. Have y'all heard about that? Isn't that cool as can be? I mean, I saw that miles is a, Mars is 130 million miles away. I read that the, 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 the route that this robot had to take to get there was a 290 million mile trip that we just casually sent a video to, I mean, a camera to, to record it. What an accomplishment, right? I was showing my kids the video of Mars. And they said, well, what are we looking at? I said, well, we're waiting to see if somebody's gonna walk up. <laughs> you never know, I guess, I don't know. But if you believe the Bible, Mars, which we know some about, but so little about, God designed it. God laid out the foundations and the size and the temperature and the moons and the stars and the sun. God did that. What we are so fantastically studying and getting into is God's. God loves Mars. He created Mars. It's his Mars. He's that big and that Sovereign. When we read in Job that the angels and Satan are coming, it is because of God's sovereignty. They cannot go rogue and do whatever they want to do. And if the devil is a rebellious angel, a fallen angel who's out there doing his thing, Job reminds us, for as much as he tries to run from God, he is on a chain and he is on a leash to the sovereign God. Nobody and nothing breaks free from the sovereignty of God. I assure you that. And so as your heart and your world feels like it is running crazy right now, in some ways it may be with decision-making and lawlessness and sinfulness and selfishness, but in so many ways it is under control by the sovereign God. 
May Job teach you that. Now, it does say here that Satan also came among them, and so that is odd, and it is, it is somewhat out of place. And Satan is such a key character here in this book and in this chapter, in these first two chapters and in this study, that next week the entire sermon is gonna be about Satan. Do not miss it. All about Satan. We need to understand who this is. It's not even actually the name Satan here, although we're thinking it is. It's just the word Satan, okay? There's a lot that we need to get into there, but I didn't wanna go for that today because we're, we're going here. So next week will be all about Satan right there from that verse, okay? Number one, the sovereignty of God. Number two, the searching of the devil. The searching of the devil. Commentator Anderson says, it is because the Satan has no right to be there that he alone is asked his business. Look what it says. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Notice that. All the angels come to check in. Satan also happens to be there. God singles him out and says, what are you doing here? And doesn't say that, but it kind of gets the meaning or feeling of that. Where have you come from? What are you doing? What are you up to? It gets us thinking that while the rest of the angels are doing exactly what God has designed them to do and made them to do, they are obedient and beautiful and serving as angels of the almighty God. Satan is not doing that. And so God says, from where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord with this quote, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Wow. He doesn't necessarily say he's doing anything bad, but we get the meaning that that's what he's doing. To know what Satan is and know who he is, to, know, to read the rest of the passage, you know that he's up to no good, right? And isn't that exactly the way it goes for people that are up to no good, right? When I pull up here at church, sometimes at midnight, and there's a car back in the corner hiding behind the shed with the windows rolled up and smoke bolt, bolt, uh, you know, flowing out of the windows, and I pull up at midnight and say, hey, what y'all up to? And they say, oh, we're just sitting here hanging out. We just need to talk. They're not necessarily saying all that they're, all that they're doing wrong, but sometimes it just comes with the territory. And Satan answers God and says, just going to and fro on the earth from walking up and down on it. But because we know other things about Satan, we know that he's searching, right? Matt just read for us the passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 where it says, Satan, your adversary, roams around like a lion seeking somebody to devour. To devour. When Peter says that he's a roaming lion looking to kill somebody, it connects us here to this roaming, doesn't it? This is the searching of the devil. Commentator Anderson says, this nicely describes a restless, ubiquitous being, a vagabond among the angels. He is not doing what God would have him to do. He's not desiring to do what God would have him to do. Commentator Derek Thomas says, it is the confession of a vagabond spirit. Listen to this. Pacing the earth with the frustration of a caged lion and preying upon unsuspecting victims. Listen. Satan epitomizes the ultimate of evil when alienation, aimlessness, and anxiety, the essence of hell, 
obsess the soul. Satan is miserable. Satan is miserable. And all he knows to do, instead of obeying God like the angels do, is to roam and pace, right? He's walking around looking for somebody to ruin, somebody to tear up. He is searching. Do you remember in John chapter 10, in the very passage where Jesus says he's the good shepherd and he is the door and he describes the shepherd's relationship to the sheep? You remember that? In that passage, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. Jesus then, in describing a shepherd, describes the thief, the devil, coming to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. And you better believe that he is searching to do that now. Now, right now, he doesn't know of Job. He doesn't have his eyes on Job. He just has his eyes on people. The searching of the devil. Number three, the suggestion of God. Number one, the sovereignty of God. Number two, the searching of the devil. Number three, the suggestion of God. And y'all, this is where the passage starts to get really, really good. Satan says he's more or less up to no good. He is looking for something bad to get into, or rather, he's looking for somebody to get into, which is horrible. And God recommends Job. If you didn't know this aspect of the story, then you better listen up. God is the one who suggests Job to Satan. Look at verse eight. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Wow. The next time you're out doing some yard work and a bunch of hoodlums come walking by up to no good, run inside the house and find your little good kid and say, hey, why don't you go hang out with them? Or the next time the thugs are trying to, you know, ruin the neighborhood or something like that, and you know that they are, why don't you go grab your kid and just say, hey, why don't y'all take him along with you? This is what God just did. Satan is the evil of evil. There is nothing good in Satan. Nothing. And God brings up Job. It's like the opposite of trying to, to guard them to the point where they never get around it. Oh, God's gonna guard Job all right. But perhaps not in the way that you would think. This is God's suggestion. Wow. When he recommends Job to Satan, he then just says this, that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Does that sound familiar to you? That is exactly the way Job is described in verse one. Look at verse one. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. Look at this. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil, right? What God says in verse eight sounds like Job had read, or sounds like God had read Job 1.1, doesn't it? He quotes the very thing. Except for, you know, it doesn't work like that except you know it doesn't work like that. It's not that God had read verse one. It's that God had written verse one. 
to whoever he inspired to write this. Y'all, this book is so good for us. God is bragging on Job to Satan, and that's a good scene, isn't it? Some people have called this the cosmic duel, the sovereign God knowing that he is able to save to the uttermost. God is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the throne. Imagine that and the way Jude concludes with that doxology in Jude. He is able to keep you, the Bible says, right? And the sovereign God speaks to the evil, roaming lion, Satan, and says, what about Job? That's my guy, that's my, that's my dude, and he is blameless and upright. He fears you, he turns away from evil. Have you tried him? This is starting to look like, man, let's do it. That's like the guy that says, I can do 10 push-ups, and the guy says, well, I can do 20 push-ups. The guy says, well, I can do 25 push-ups, and finally somebody says, get on the floor right there, and let's see who can do it, right? That's what's happening here. Satan's trying to ruin people and God's saying, you can't ruin mine. That's what's happening. And which one is stronger? Which one is able? Which one do you believe? Isn't there something cool about hearing a father brag on his child? Now, not in the way that it's like obsessive and over the top and a turnoff, but in a way of he speaks well of his children. We had a men's ministry dinner here on Tuesday night and it was pretty cool. And we had a thing where if your name got pulled, you had to say something about yourself. And there was a dad here with his 16 year old son and he didn't know what to say about himself. He said, man, I don't really know how to say anything about myself, but I'll say this. My 16 year old's here and he's one of the hardest working 16 year olds you would ever see. And that was awesome. I bet for the rest of that 16 year old's life, he will be a hard worker because he heard his dad say, you're a hard worker. Something cool about hearing a dad brag on his son. And here we have Job being bragged on to Satan by God. Anderson says, in praising Job, the Lord repeats what has been said in verse one. Righteous men are rare. It may be hard to find a few, as we see in Genesis, or it may be hard to even find one in a city, as we see in Jeremiah but it is possible to find a righteous man. And when the Lord observes one, he is delighted. And God is bragging on Job. Listen to this from Mason. Job's righteousness was a divinely attested fact. And from the very beginning, it is the Lord himself, not Job or any other human being, who sets out to justify this man and to establish his innocence. This is God's doing, the sovereign God. Moreover, this is not a defense on the Lord's part, this is offense. This is an offensive initiative. It is the Lord who issues the first challenge, the first taunt by aggressively boasting to Satan about Job. Thus, the unimpeachable righteousness of Job is the very core of the book, the linchpin upon which the entire plot hangs. God's praise for his servant is so lavish and his backing is so unqualified that, listen, if at any point in the ensuing struggle we are tempted to question the integrity of Job's faith, as his friends often do relentlessly, it will really not be Job that we are questioning, but it will be the Lord, right? God has so masterfully written this book 
That Job is the one that everybody's looking at. Wow, look how much he's suffering. Wow, how, how will he respond? Wow, will his faith last? Is he really a believer? What's God going to do? And somehow the whole thing is spoken to us in such a way that if any of it goes wrong, it's God that we would look at. You know, when things start getting bad in our lives, I know this is the way I am. I think this is the way you are. We immediately start asking, why? Why is this happening? Whose fault is this? Who's to blame? What did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? What decision was it that led to this? Or decisions, right? And we start asking that. We want to be able to blame. You see that in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden from the snake, right? You remember that? One of, you know, Adam said it was his wife's fault and his wife said it was the snake's fault, right? And everybody's pointing, they're trying to blame each other. We've heard that before. The blame game always happens. Well, what about in Job's life? And we're not even into all that's going wrong yet. That, that's coming later in the chapter. But you know that uh, all of his children are about to die, all 10 of them. Whose fault is this? Is this Job's fault that all of this goes wrong and he suffers so much? no. Well, then is it the devil's fault that all of this is about to happen? Kind of, sort of, you could say that, but I'm gonna tell you, Job doesn't think that. Job never says that. Whose fault is this? And if you're answering that question, that's a bad question, by the way. We don't wanna ask that, but I'm asking it. Whose fault is this? The answer you have to say is, well, it's God's. Well, then is it a fault? Is it bad what's happening to Job? Y'all, this book is gonna make you think about your life. Let me ask you something right now. If you could switch places with Job, would you? Not that you don't like your life, but I'm just saying, would you? Would you take Job's situation? Would you suffer more? Would you take all of your children dying? knowing what we know, that you are completely in the hands of God. Job is never out of God's grip. God has him. And the only difference is that we've read it. The Bible says if you are in God's hand, nothing will snatch you out of it. If you look at our lives and our suffering from man's worldly perspective, we've got a thousand questions and we are depressed. But if you will believe in a sovereign God, you are safe. You are secure. God is sovereign. The suggestion of God. Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless upright, fears God, turns away from evil. Martin Luther says that even the devil is God's devil. What a thought. Number four, the cynicism of the devil. That doesn't start with an S, but it sounds like it does, does it not? The sovereignty of God, the searching of the devil, the suggestion of God, and number four, the cynicism of the devil, right? Right? The devil is a cynic, 
And y'all, in 2021, everybody's becoming a cynic. Nobody believes anybody anymore. Nobody takes anybody at face value. We question everybody's motives. That's what it means to be a cynic, that you've got questions about their motive. You think they're doing everything for selfish gain, that nobody just sincerely does good. And the devil is exactly that. Look what happens next. You talk about boldness, right? It's like you teach your kids that they never say what to an adult. You might say, excuse me, or I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, or a pardon, or uh, yes, ma'am, or sir, what was that? You know, something like that. But you don't just say what. If the teacher says, all right, if the teacher says to you, hey, would you read page five? What? It's rude. You don't talk to adults like that. Kids need to learn how to talk to adults where there is always reverence, submission, humility, that I respect you. If, you're, if, if, if kids are not being taught that, y'all, they aren't gonna be able to get a job. They're not gonna be able to live or do anything. You've got to teach kids how to talk to adults. And you do not talk to adults the same way you talk to friends and peers. You don't. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Please, thank you. Excuse me, I'm sorry. What was that? You have to do this. And you see Satan here in the rudest of ways going back at God. One of the things I thought as I'm reading this is, who does Satan think he is? You don't talk to God this way. This is God Almighty. There are enough stories out there, Satan, that Satan knows where God has put people in their place. Now, he doesn't do that often. He is slow to anger, right? He's kind and patient and gracious toward us. But you do not mess with the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Satan talks to him like he is his boss. That's Satan's problem. Look at verse nine. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? The very son that God is bragging about, Job's saying it's all fake. It's all fake, God. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. God, Job is a fake, man. Everything's good for him. His wife's healthy, his kids are happy, he's got more money than everybody else. I mean, he's just the top. God, everybody knows this. There ain't no God or redemption or salvation or anything like that in him. There's no suffering in his life. The only reason he even says that he's a believer or a Christian is because how good he is. Satan is a cynic. And this is the exact same thing that the world is turned to now. You've got friends and family and coworkers that say that very thing. And let me remind you here today, they are very much so just like Satan when they think that way. Now, if you're fake in the game and you don't really love God and there's no true humility and sincerity of heart in you and you are faking it, then your friends may be right. But that is not the case for every single believer in the world. There are believers that will take the goodness of God and they will take the judgment of God upon their lives. There are believers right now suffering through it and holding on to the rope, not letting go. The devil is such a cynic. He questions Job's sincerity, even though God is the one. Don't be a cynic. Don't let your friends be a cynic of your life. Be the real thing. Be authentic. Be what you are right now with your hands raised as we sing as loud as I've ever sang in my life. Is he worthy? He is. And I was singing as loud as I could. If it had been one of those things in the car where it like automatically cut off and went silent real quick, y'all would have heard me screaming with a hoarse voice right then because I was singing so loud but you better be the person that's singing that loud with your hands raised that means it. And tomorrow morning, when it's a boring, frustrating Monday morning, your heart believes the same thing. 
There are cynics out there against us, but don't give them the reason to think that it's true. God is true. And God has his child Job. And Satan is a cynic. Let me read you a few quotes. Cynicism is the essence of the satanic. And there's young people here today. There are a lot of teenagers in here today and college students here today. Listen to me. I know that your entire world and everybody that you roll with and hang out with is such a cynic of Christianity, of an old church like this and a pastor like this that's 41 and has his shirt tucked in still. I realize that they do not think that we are the real thing. I realize that. And it is our joy with all humility to say, watch and see. It is our joy with all humility to say, God is real and he's true. It is our joy with all humility to say, here's what God says, believe it. In a world of cynicism, may you be reminded here today, that is satanic. Let me keep going. The Satan believes nothing to be genuinely good. He doesn't believe Job is genuinely good. He doesn't believe in his disinterested piety. He doesn't believe God to be good or God's generosity. Faith in God's goodness is the heart of love and hope and joy and all other radiant things. Listen to this quote. Cynicism is studied disbelief. Think about that. That's a good word for 2021, isn't it? studied disbelief. Watching church people so closely because you hate God, wanting them to mess up. So you say, told you, God's not really a life changer. God's not really a life changer. I, I knew it. They, they said Jesus paid it all. They said Jesus say Jesus changed my life, but now they're not changed. I told you God's not true. And for every chance and situation where Christians have dropped the ball and ruined our witness or whatever, that's unfortunate. And we can repent and there is forgiveness from the Lord. But may you not believe the cynic that that's the way it always is. May you not listen to the cynic to think that Job was a fake. He wasn't. And by the end of chapter 42, nobody believes the devil. By the end of chapter 42, God reigns and Job is still safe with God. The cynic doubts everything. It is studied disbelief. And a mind turned upon its own malice, listen to this, a mind turned upon its own malice is the final horror of the diabolical, the horrible, worse, cruel, awful ugliness. Don't become a cynic. And the devil is one. Listen to this quote. To the jaundiced eye, everything appears yellow. And for Satan, who is incapable of appreciating the righteousness of Job, every act of human goodness must have a sinister, self-serving, squalid explanation. There is no respect for God in Satan's words. Unlike Job, Satan does not fear God. Now think about where we're at now in chapter one. God in his sovereignty is confident in Job. Job doesn't know what's going on yet, but God's gonna keep him. He is a righteous man, faithful and obedient. And Satan doesn't believe that's true. Now, I'm not saying that God is suggesting you to Satan. I don't know enough about the sovereign providence of God to say that that same conversation to have between God and Satan in regards to Job is happening with you. I don't know that. 
But I do know that if Satan is coming after you, like the Bible says he wants to, God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to keep you. May that strengthen you. Number five, the sure saving strength of God. Number one was the sovereignty of God. Number two, the searching of the devil. Number three, the suggestion of God. Number four, the cynicism of the devil. But number five, the sure saving strength of God. After Satan says all that he says in verse nine, 10, and 11, Satan concludes verse 11 by saying this, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Y'all, that's bad. You know who saved Job? God. You know who's saying he didn't? Satan. Satan just told God, those little salvation stories and testimonies that y'all talk about, God, it's all a show. And if you'll allow Job to go through some suffering, he will turn right on you and curse you to your face, God. He's not gonna sing even if, like we love to sing. He's not gonna sing, is he worthy? He's not gonna say that stuff. He said that to God. And so God answers back in verse 12 with the sure saving strength. The Lord answers, behold, go ahead. It's fair game. It's all yours. It's almost like you've been sitting there listening to somebody tell you, you can't do something, you can't do something, you can't do something. And you've just been being patient and ignoring them and all that. And finally, they just talk too much. They've been running their mouth and running their mouth. And finally, you just say, let's do it. Come on, get outside. And you're ready to show them. And you know that you can do what you can do. And God steps up and says, oh, go ahead. You don't ask God if he's mighty to save. He is. You don't ask God if he's able to forgive sins. He is. You don't ask God if he's able to save and restore and redeem and forgive and keep his children. You don't ask God that. You certainly don't challenge God that. That's what God does. He is a redeeming God. It's in his name. It's in his DNA. He is loving and forgiving. And this is where Satan, for being as wise as Satan is at times, right? We know that Satan is wise at times. For being as wise as he is at times, deep down at the very core of what Satan is, he is foolish. And like Psalm 14 says in our call to worship this morning was the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. For all the things that Satan knows and gets right, he doesn't get right the most important thing in the world, that God is God and that God is sovereign and that God is unstoppable and God does change lives and keep people and cause people to desire God. God does that. And I hope you know some real Christians in a world of all sorts of shortcomings and fallenness and backsliding and hypocrisy. I hope you know some real Christian people, not because they're good at it, but because God is a savior and it strengthens you. The book of Job strengthens the church. Not so much because of Job because the God who's working in Job. God is a saving, strengthening God. In effect, God was drawing attention to the fact that he was already displaying his victory over Satan. Look at how good this is. We're still in chapter one, by the way. 
God is displaying his victory over Satan already. Eden's challenge, the Garden of Eden, Eden's challenge to Adam had brought calamity on mankind. But God had now revealed a plan whereby he would save a people for himself. And Job was one of them. And his life was a demonstration of his godliness. A God-wrought holiness indicative of his faith in God's promised Savior. Listen to this. There in us was the proof that God's word, not Satan's, was supreme. Satan must look on Job as a trophy of redemptive grace. Satan must admit, after all that the enmity of the woman's seed against him had already proved effective. Think about that. The first promise in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, was that God told Satan that Eve's seed would crush his head. Genesis 3.15. God was going to send a man, Jesus, who would die on the cross and kill Satan forever through the death, burial, and resurrection. And if anybody is in Christ, they are safe forever. If you will believe that God sent Jesus to die for you, you will be safe in the love of God and he will never, ever, 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 ever let you out of that. No matter how strong Satan comes, he can do nothing to God and his children. Nothing. And Satan must admit that every time he sees Job not giving in. Adam and Eve's covenant with death had been annulled. Their covenant with God had been renewed and Job was living proof of it. And we're just getting started on it. We just sang and Andrew does a fantastic job with these songs. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. Isn't that a good song? See, don't you love that the songs we sing are not just good because they sound good or not just good because they feel good, but they're good because they are rock solid truth. I don't know when He Will Hold Me Fast was written, but I bet Job was singing sometimes. Another lyric says, he will not let my soul be lost. Though I backslide, though I lose focus sometimes, Though I get off the beaten path, the God who started a good work in me will bring it to completion. And he does it in Job. If you're here today, believe that God is bigger and better than your problems, your sufferings, and the Satan that's working in them. Trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Job and the sure saving strength of God. He will not let our souls be lost. His promises shall last. You, God, will hold us fast. And we see you do it with Job and it strengthens us, God. Father, as we sing a closing song now, may you strengthen our faith. God, give us faith And Father, as there are people here today, undoubtedly, who hang out with so many cynics and skeptics, God, may your spirit well up in them and make them strong in you. Strengthen your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.